Hi. Hello. Ironically, I'm not a good public speaker. Who would have thunk? Um, if everybody could open up with me to Leviticus chapter 10. We're going old school with the Old Testament. Thank you. Getting, getting them amens early. Woo! Um, first and foremost, I will say that a part of what I, what I was kind of researching came from a guy by the name of John MacArthur. So, you know, just, I know that I'm not supposed to care, but if this, you know, this ends up on the internet, so therefore John MacArthur might hear and go, hey, I recognize those four points. Those are mine, or whatever. I just wanted to say, don't tithe any more or less because you heard the sermon today. All right, that's out the way. <sighs> Sorry, I'm, I'm nervous, so I'm trying to talk slow, I'm trying to breathe. All right, so Leviticus chapter 10, I'm reading from the NIV in case it sounds weird or it doesn't sound weird enough. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael, Mishael and Elsaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt, and do not tear your clothes, or you will die, and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. But with your relatives, all the Israelites may mourn for those... The Lord has destroyed by fire. Excuse me. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting where you will die, because the Lord's anointing oil is upon you. So they, they did as Moses said. And then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for, those, for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. I'm going to stop there. Cool. Father, thank you for just being here. I pray that it's less of me and more of you. I only want you to be speaking. I only want your words. I only want your wisdom to be heard. Anything I say is, is nothing in comparison to your goodness, your greatness. You get all the honor. You get all the glory. You get all the praise for who you are. In your name, amen. So I had my original message is called like what and how we worship matters. Originally, I was going, I was going to go into some shmeel about the fact that I turn on K-Love and I, I hear a whole bunch of Christian songs that aren't necessarily worshiping the Lord. And I was going to go, hey, man, what, like, who's the focus? Like, am I saving myself or is God saving me? And that was my original message. And then, you know, like God usually does, he usually comes alongside you and says, actually, I want you to look at it through my eyes. And then all of a sudden, you're just convicted by the Holy Spirit and everything just changes. So my message went away from that like almost entirely i'm just like all right so we're not talking about that anymore um you know pastor dave recommended i read leviticus 10 i'm like okay i'm reading this and then a whole new message just came out in what and how we worship matters so let's let, let's do a little let's go through this verse by verse not all of them but just some of them verse one and nadab and abihu the sons of aaron 
I'm going to read from the NIV because I forgot that my notes are in KJV, which is King James Version, which is, oh, brother, hard thou, confusing. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So, crap. Oh, yeah. My bad. Okay. So... I, I forgot I had all these verses, and like my notes actually started on like the fourth page. So Aaron the Levite, the chief priest, had two sons. These two sons had approached God with a lack of proper reverence in some way. But if God was wronged enough to decide personally to consume them with fire until they were dead, then the main conclusion is this. How you approach God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, matters. The heart that you present before the Lord matters. Let me say that one more time. If God was wronged enough to decide to personally come down and consume you with fire, you done messed up. You, how, how you approach God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, matters. The heart you present to God matters. Leviticus 6.12. You can flip to it if you want, or not. I'm just going to read right here. God was, God was commanding uh, uh, His people. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. That means the fire was still going. There was no, let's start a fire because the fire went out. So me, me, me reading about these two sons having to take fire, strange fire, fire that was not already there, they had to add fire to it because the fire went out. They, they, they slept on a job or something. Whatever happened, happened, but they messed up. And, and they thought that it was good enough. But when God demands, you know, your utmost best, and your utmost best was don't fall asleep on a job, you know, if you're about to fall asleep, get somebody else to come relieve you. It's that important. So, strange fire, fire so-called, because it wasn't taken from the altar. Like, you know, the fire wasn't already there. Um, t -t 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 -t, this is forbidden implicitly. Going down, going down to verse 2, I just, this, is, this is just a small one. This is about how, so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, anybody ever watch Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, there's a lot of people here. Who remembers the part where they decided to open the Ark of the Lord and thought it was a good idea? Well, I don't, I mean, I, I'd like to imagine that, the, that their faces melted and exploded or whatever like that, but it probably wasn't that dramatic. God probably, like lightning literally probably just came out of the presence of God and just struck them dead. And like, because they were, remember, they were still able to carry their bodies out. So if, they, if fire came out, but yet there were still bodies to carry... That means that like the lightning came and just burned up their insides. Like that's the fire. Um, God said, oh, see another one, NIV. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. I will be sanctified. This may note either that their duty to sanctify God to demean themselves with such care and reverence and watchfulness as becomes the holiness of God whom they serve when he leaves them to gather the justice of present judgment. I'll say that a little bit slower and probably with less big words. Um, for my own sake, not for anybody here. Like, the, the service of God is to be held in such high esteem that when you, when you take it lightly, when you take it for granted, when you forget 
the God that you serve and how awesome and amazing He is, like, God's going to remind you. And thank God we're in, the, we're in kind of like the New Testament times where we are under the grace of Christ because, I mean, every, I, I've messed up at least a hundred times this week in some way. Every morning I woke up, I messed up. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're sons of Adam, but we are made whole by the Son of Man, by the Son of God. Um, Alright, so here's, here's the part that... Does anybody here believe God wastes his time? Like, if he says something, don't you think he means something important when he says it? Alright, that being said, look at me again to... Uh, look, at, look at verse 9 with me again. I'm going to read that again. I'm sorry, I'm going to start on verse 8, excuse me. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and common, between the unclean and the clean, and so you can teach the Israelites all the decree the Lord has given them through Moses. Now, God didn't say... You know, hey, just make sure you come at me with an upright heart. He, he, was, he, was, he wasn't general. He wasn't broad. He was very specific. Don't drink. Don't drink any wine. Like, when you, whenever you come before me, you need to not have been drinking at all. That tells me that there was something potentially specific that happened with these two sons. Whether they got drunk that morning or whether they got drunk, you know, the night before, they were hung over. You know what I mean? Like... This could potentially have attributed to them falling asleep on the job and the fire went out. Like he got God got really specific. Don't drink any wine. Don't drink any strong drink. He didn't say don't sin. He didn't say don't fall short. He was specific. So in this story, it tells me that, hey, you need to keep a clear head because you're going to have to teach the children of Israel, my, my children, my people, you're going to have to teach them how to be. And you're also going to have to be in, a, in such a clear mind that you can determine when, when they're falling short. Not so you can judge them or smite them, but so you can school them, corral them. You're supposed to be their shepherd. You're supposed to be guiding them. You're supposed to be an example. If, if we are reflections of God's glory to those people out there in, in the world, then we have to remove the blemishes. Not because we're better than them, but because we have to show them Him. So... Try not, to, try, not to, try not to be drinking. I mean, you heard of don't drink and drive. Well, don't preach and lead. Don't drink and preach and lead. Excuse me. I, I skipped the word drink. There's a few questions that I have to ask. Was the method by which God asked to be worshipped taken for granted? Like, every, every Sunday morning we come here, we worship. There are, there are Sundays I don't want to. And those are the Sundays, yeah, Jess, you always remind me, those are the Sundays that he's going to use you. He's going to do something good. He's going to do something amazing. He's going to be doing something great. Um, when we were worshiping this morning, like, I just want to continue to add to the testimony of the word of knowledge that God gave Laura, that Laura gave the congregation, that the congregation gave glory to God. Just before it happened, like we're playing, and my, my hand actually fell asleep. Like Anybody ever fall asleep on their arm? And, and like, oh my gosh, the pain of the needles, the, you know, like you try to like wind it out and get that blood flowing really quick because you're hurting. Like it hurts. Well, that happened my entire thumb. Just it fell asleep. And, and I, I, I looked right at you. I was like, I need you to keep playing because I literally had to stop and shake my hand and try to get the blood flowing. It hurt so bad. Um, 
So then I started playing again. And then, anybody notice the <laughs> during worship? Anybody else? Yeah. That was the battery dying. That was God saying, we're going to shut you down now. You're not going to play anymore because usually when God calls a word of knowledge, when God has somebody coming up here, and it might attribute to me, if I'm in the middle of playing thinking that I need to be there to, to provide that atmosphere of worship, then I'm going to keep playing. and I'm going to ignore the word of God. I'm going to ignore the word of knowledge. I'm going to ignore the king of kings. Well, God wasn't having that this morning. God said, no, no, no. You ain't going to have anything to play. I'm going to remove all of your obstacles. I'm going to remove all of your hindrances. I'm going to remove everything that stops you from coming to me. So God shut me down. And I'm grateful for it. I'm thankful for it. I'm humbled by it. And I'm healed by it. So... So that, like, this was... I, I wrote, like, two different messages, by the way, because... That, that in itself is a message. I mean, like, I, I, I can literally just mic drop right there and like, we're done. But I'm not. Um, because what, what and how we worship matters. I love you too, Joe. And what and how we worship matters. So this is, this is the part where, you know, John MacArthur, I was just, I was just doing some research on um, worship. And nine times out of ten, whenever somebody says, hey, man, what's worship to you? You're going to say, Music. You know what I mean? Like, am I wrong? Like that, it kind of comes, that's one of the biggest avenues and arenas of music. Well, there's four misconceptions of music that I'm going to kind of just go through. And this is, this is where I'm going to just start moving. Because music and worship, people think that like, oh my gosh, you know, when oh, you guys had such great worship today. I'm like, dude, it was just the music. How about the message? Were you worshiping there? Were you listening? Were you reading? Were you learning? You know, that's worship too. So four misconceptions of music. Music does not only equal worship. In church, when you hear the music, that's, you know, it's not just worship. Like, they're not synonymous. Music is music. Worship is worship. I'll say it again. Music is music. Worship is worship. It can be spoken. It can be prayed. It can be in silent reverence. It can be dancing. Like, that worship is a lot of things. It's more than just music. Worship is us ascribing to God who he is, thanking him for what he has done. When you open up the word and you learn some new truth about God that you didn't know before, you're like, man, I got to get closer to you, God. I want to know more. Man, you are such a good God. I got to get closer, Lord. Man, you're going to shelter me. Oh, my gosh. You're going to heal me. Oh, my gosh. You're going to forgive me. Oh, my gosh. Like, Lord, I, I, I always say, gosh, like... Because I forget that I'm, you know, out there, like, I'll be like, oh my gosh. And now I'm in church and I can be saying it because I'm totally like, you know, oh my God, like, you're so wonderful. I'm here trying not to use the Lord's name in vain when it's not in vain. Um, sorry, that rabbit trail. But, um, so, worship is us thanking him for what he's done. Music is not worship. It is just a device. This is still all the first point. It's the carrier of, of our worship. By itself, music is not worship. Like, I can, I can play the most wonderful D major, B minor, followed by a G, and keep on repeating that pattern so the cows come home. But if there's no authority behind it, if I'm not proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings behind that gun chords, it's just noise. So here's the, here's the second misconception of music. That music motivates and, indu and, and induces worship. So uh, uh, I'll say it like this. 
that music, when the music happens, the worship starts. Like, it, 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 you know, music cultivates and grows the worship. That's a misconception. Music gives expression to love and adoration that is already there, that we have for the Father. But the motivation has to come from somewhere else. It has to come from the Lord. It has to come from how He's changed each and every single one of your lives. Like, that's what a worship is. Like, God, you got me a great wife. You got me a great job. You got me life. You got me forgiveness. You've healed me. You've mended, like, not just my body, but you've mended my soul. Music enhances and enriches, but the motive is not a sound, it's a truth. Like, I think in the Old Testament, to correct me if I'm wrong, but when, when they met in the temple, they would, one guy would literally come up, break open a scroll, scroll, like, let's read some Isaiah today, guys, and just start, you know, and, and it, it, the guy would just read, and then people would just worship. Like, God, your truth is amazing. Your truth is amazing. Like powerful, the things you've done for Israel. Yeah, you know I mean, like, like our, you know, now, now we know a lot more because we're reading the Old Testament as, a, as almost like a history book sometimes. But those truths back then still are relevant to us now. But the idea is that there are there are some churches that don't even have music, and th that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like some, some, you know, we're gonna read this today, guys, and then I want you to soak this in. And like, you know, they'll read a verse and then just stop, and they'll just sit there. Remember how? Remember the part about? Worship can be silent reverence. Can you imagine hearing such, such an amazing idea, a facet of God that you didn't know before, and you're just sitting there like... Oh. I'm literally just standing here to make you uncomfortable on purpose. <laughs> because sometimes, not even the person preaching needs to be there for the worship to happen. I don't need to be here. You know, I was reading about pulpits, the, you know, the actual pulpits and stuff like that, and how they used to have these grand, um, large things with like emblems and crosses, and they were like gold-plated, and like they looked all fancy-smancy, and you know, yes, they kind of missed the point. I, I like the ones that are just made out of wood, good, good, good ochre, whatever, you know. But the idea behind those pulpits wasn't so that everybody would look at me, look at the pastor, you know what I mean? Like, this is where the Word of God is preached. But that everybody looking at that pulpit would take whatever words coming off of it as from the Lord, not from the guy behind it. Like, they focus on a pulpit. Like, now there's, there's pastors who, I'm just going to sit on a stool, and I want you to look at me. Like, yeah, and now, granted, that pastor is not saying look at me, but there, there's, a, there's a risk of it. You know what I mean? Somebody's going to walk away going, man, that was a good word. That was a good word. That guy delivered those three points on point. So the idea is, like, when they, you know, Looking at that pulpit, people focused more on God. That was, that was free. That was a complete side rabbit trail that had nothing to do with anything. Woo! Amen. And in, in, on that second point, just closing that second point with this, there can at times be instances of false worship when a worship team gets a congregation amped up yet leads them away from Christ. I'll see that one more time. There can, at times, be instances of false worship when a worship team gets a congregation amped up, yet leads them away from Christ. Um, Elijah. Elijah. It was Elijah or Elisha with the, the, against the prophets of Baal? Elijah. Ja? 
Elijah. See, I guessed right the first time. It was a 50-50 shot. But, um, like, the prophets of Baal were hooting and hollering, beating themselves, you know, to, to worship and stuff like that. And it's like, so I'm not going to go into that story. That's a whole message by itself. Praise the Lord. I love you, God. Um, but, the, like, the idea is to get people amped up in that way, to get them in a mindless, like, rave party. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, that's not what we're up here to do. Um, misconception number three. When people have trouble worshiping, then the music will create worship. Music will create the mood for worship. I said something earlier about joking about creating that mood, you know, oh, I'm playing these chords or whatever, you know. But worship is not a mood experience. You don't, you know, you don't come here on a Sunday just to feel good about being in this room, about being in the back row, just like, oh, I love it. You know I mean? oh, no, it's not, you're not just here to, to, to feel better. You'll visit a church when it, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Who's ever heard of the Babylon Bee? It's a, it's a website called the Babylon Bee. And yes, I'm going to bring up some of these articles. They're funny. Anybody ever heard of the Onion? A regular, they, they basically take real, not real uh, news stories, but they, they, they post them like they're real news stories, but they're all jokes, they're fake. Well, the Babylon Bee is the Christian version of that. They have headlines like, Laser lights cuts the worship team in half, or malfunctioning fog machine inhibits the movement of the Holy Spirit, or worship leader gets caught in an endless loop of how great is our God. You know what I mean? Like, so um, I, I bring that up because has anyone ever visited visited a church where they dim the lights, they make it really low, and it's like soft, and like you come in, you're like, wow, I'm in like another world. You'll visit a church where it's dark, with a sensual kind of music, with the lights flashing, you know, the yellows and purples, and you're like, laser lights, all right. There's a fog machine, all right. That guy's really on point, because the light's focused only on him, woo! It has nothing to do with worship. Sometimes it has the opposite effect. They're going for like, you know, some, some center where, where God is glorified and God is praised, and it ends up being more about the show than it ends up being about the Lord. It sometimes has the opposite effect of, of not to produce an atmosphere of worship, but merely a fickle feeling, a fake fickle feeling, a false substitute for true worship. True worship is a permanent attitude. It's not about what we do from 10 a.m. to 11.15 or noon, because sometimes worship goes longer. John chapter 4 says, we worship in spirit and in truth. Philippians 3, we worship in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It is simply a way of life. We don't need a mood that shifts the mind into neutral. Oh, you had a bad week? Come to Bristol Hope Assembly. Our worship will get you back to where you need to be. That's, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for us to advertise like that. We have an amazing music ministry. Even, even we have an amazing uh, preaching ministry. We have an amazing greeting staff. We have amazing cafe lunches downstairs afterwards. Like, it can't be upon any one individual thing. It's simply like, hey, we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know how to celebrate. And then you're just going to have to come figure out how we do it when we do it, when you come over, and, you know, period. Like, we celebrate Christ. There is something that creates worship. Oh, sorry. See, I said that wrong. There is something that creates worship. See, the inflection makes it sound better. 
preaching the word or reading the word so that when you know the truth, your heart reaches forward to God to express that praise and gratitude. That's what creates worship. When you read the word, when you preach the word, when you learn it, when you take it in, soak it in, make it a part of your life, allow God to write his identity upon your heart, you end up aching for God, wanting more of him so bad, you can't do anything but praise him, but worship him. And then the fourth misconception, sorry, I'm rereading you like, you know, for like the fourth time, and it's funny every time. Non-Christians are not going to come to my church unless we import their music. I'll say that again. Non-Christians are not going to come to my church unless we import their music. What's that phrase? When in Rome, be Roman. Last I checked, Roman's not really a good idea to act like a Roman. Every city back then had their issues, but apparently Rome sucked too. Stinked. Inhaled with great vigor. Sorry. You can edit that too. We're real! Alright. Sorry. I'm like yelling in somebody's ear now. Hi. Okay. Um, so, non-Christians are not going to come to my church unless we import their music. Music dominates our culture so much that if we're going to appeal to non-believers, we need to change our style of worship. We need to change our style of music. We have to do music like they like it. And somehow we have to baptize it so that it's therefore holy. We have to make it our music by, by you know, saturating it. But if you, dress up, <laughs> if you dress up a chicken like a dog, is, this, is it a dog? Yeah, you know, like, I'm just naming two animals, okay? They were the first two animals that jumped in my head. It was a weird example. But if you dress up any animal like another animal, I mean, everybody, everybody dresses up their cat or their dog, you know, with people clothes. It doesn't make them a person. But they're still an animal. They're still what they were originally created and designed to be. Although they look really cute. So... We have to do music like they like it and somehow baptize it if we're going to reach out to them and evangelistically. Like if we're going to pre, you know, go out and evangelize, we need to make a worship song like Eminem. We need to make a worship song like Motley Crue, like Led Zeppelin. We need to make a worship song like Pearl Jam or whatever artist everybody else fancies these days. And don't get me wrong, I like Eminem. I like Led Zeppelin. I don't really listen to Motley Crue, but... The music's there, and, and, and we need to change. No, no, we don't change who we are. We, mm, stop that. We don't change who God is to satisfy the masses. The masses change to satisfy God. So what is music? Music, it is a gift of God to the world to give them a means of expressing their emotions. For believers... It is the gift of God to allow believers to give expression and gratitude to God for who He is and for what He's done, and particularly for our salvation. I'll say that one more time. For believers, it is the gift of God to allow believers to give expression of gratitude to God for who He is and what He's done. Thank you, God, for saving us. We were just doing that this morning. We were worshiping God so hard. I, I know we went late, and that's okay. But I'm just saying, like, you know, like, time ceases to matter. You know, when you're excited to do something, you don't get tired, you don't get sleepy, you don't, you don't go, yeah, you can start coming up, Joe. 
like he's settled. Yeah. Like, you don't get tired. Time stops. You end up loving God so much. It doesn't, oh, sorry. I'm like hearing myself. That's so weird. Um, and you just, you just want to stay there forever and just love on God and worship God and just give him all the honor, all the glory, all the praise because he's so worthy. <sighs> music of the church is music of the redeemed. And we're, we're no better than that. Like, we're no better than anyone else in the world. We're just made, our identity is made whole and made new because of Christ and what he's done. Um, I do, I, I, you know what? The actual message is done. Because there, were, there was other thoughts, but like, because in the same chapter of Leviticus, if you guys continue going on, just read it, read it some other time. Aaron's other two sons, like, like recently after their two brothers just got killed, they did something and, and, and they, they, I'll just, y'all, can y'all humor me and I'll read it a little bit more? <clears throat> Starting on verse 12 of chapter 10. Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the grain offerings left over from the food offerings prepared without yeast and presented and present it to the Lord and eat it beside the altar, for it is most holy. Eat it in the sanctuary area, because it is your share and your son's share of the food offerings presented to the Lord, for so I have commanded. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that it was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place that they have been given to you and your children as your share of the Israelites' fellowship offerings. The thigh that was presented and the breast that was waved must be brought with the fat portions of the food offerings to be waved before the Lord as a wave offering. This will be the perpetual share for you and your children as the Lord has commanded. So, starting in 16, this is where it gets funny and, well, not funny, but interesting. When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering, or the purification offering, and found that it had been burned up, he was angry at Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary as I commanded. Aaron replied to Moses, Today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. But such things as this have happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I had eaten the sin offering today? So... I got all these like lovely notes from the Wesleyan like commentary. Basically, in 19 and 20, like some some of the, the Wesleyan notes were they have offered, they have done the substance of the thing, though they have make they've made a mistake this one circumstance. Such things, whereby having been oppressed with grief, it's not strange or unpardonable if I am mistaken. And it should have been accepted, because it was not to be eaten with sorrow, but with rejoicing in thanksgiving. So to Clean that up and clarify. Essentially, Aaron's two sons were supposed to complete a task in a specific and certain way, but because of the grief of just losing their brothers, even though they were, you know, they, they couldn't help but be a little bit distracted. Like if your two brothers are sitting over there and you still have work to do, you're a little distracted. And then, he, then Aaron's like, "Look, like if we're supposed to be fulfilling our our responsibilities as Levites, enjoy in Thanksgiving. Like when somebody says, when you tithe, do it enjoy." like we just heard earlier, you know, I, I couldn't do it in a, in a right frame of mind, so I couldn't do it. Like, you know, if God is supposed to be getting my, my best in joy and thanksgiving, 
I wasn't in the right place to do that. I will next time, but you just got to forgive the circumstance. So, uh, and it said Moses was satisfied with that answer. Like, you know, that makes sense. Like, so we, we serve a God who's just, who, who keeps his own word, and at the same time we serve a God who, who forgives and has grace, even back then. So that, that is literally my message. That's all I, that's all I have to say and teach. And... Yeah. Woo!